Welcome to the teaching ministry of Stephen Fraser and Life of Faith Bible Church. An outreach dedicated to helping you triumph in every area of life. Now here's Pastor Fraser with today's message. We're doing a study on the book of Daniel. We are in chapter 6 tonight. And we have lots to cover. Daniel chapter 6, of course we were just looking at the previous five chapters. And uh, this is such a story of lives that are lived by the power of God through faith. And you see it with Daniel in the very beginning, chapter 1. The king has a dream And he doesn't just want someone to interpret it. He wants someone to tell him the dream and then interpret it. How many people know that takes some serious supernatural insight from God to be able to do such a thing? Daniel did it. Daniel did it. God spoke to him, told him the dream and the interpretation. So just like God did for Daniel, God is looking to do for us today. Daniel's friends, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, were taken and thrown into a fiery furnace and suffered no harm. No burns, nothing. The only thing that burned was the ropes that had them bound. And they came out of the fire not even smelling like smoke. Come on, somebody. This is all in the same story, same book. In Daniel's life, this is what went on. And then the king has another dream. Again, nobody can interpret. No no wise man has the understanding but Daniel. Because Daniel is connected to the true living God. And so Daniel comes in and again, he interprets the king's dreams flawlessly. Flawlessly. Just spells it out to him. He tells the king what's going to happen to the king in the days ahead. And I mean, just, just, just spells it out to him. No problem whatsoever. Incredible interpretation of dreams. And then finally, Daniel interprets the writing on the wall that King Belshazzar had, or Belshazzar had seen. This hand came into the room and wrote on the wall. And Daniel was able to give the meaning of the words. So supernatural, so awesome. That God used this men, these men, in such an amazing way. God's looking to do that today. He's looking to do that today. We can't just allow Christianity to turn into some dead religion. Man, it's a belief. It's faith in the living God who does incredible exploits among men through those who believe him. And we are of those who believe him. Right? We're being trained in faith. To live this kind of life. Change the nation. Change the world. Just like these men did. So chapter 5 concludes verse 30. It says that very night. Belshazzar king of the Chaldeans was slain. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom. Being about 62 years old. Chapter 6 verse 1. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom. And over these three governors of whom Daniel was one. That the satraps might give account to them. 
so that the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. Friend, you and I have the same spirit of excellence on the inside of us. You and I have the spirit of excellence, the spirit of God living on the inside of us. And if we'll follow the Holy Spirit, if we'll be led by him, we will stand out above everybody else which is God's will for you and I. He wants us to stand out. He wants us to be witnesses. He wants us to be that city on a hill. He wants us to be a great light during these dark times. We're not to blend in and just look like everybody else. So it's time to distinguish ourselves. Notice he distinguished himself. There were things he did to cause his life to stand out, to cause him to be transformed by the power of God. He tapped into the supply of the Spirit that God had placed upon his life. Man, there's so much for you and I to tap into. There's such treasures on the inside of us to tap into. There's so much to draw out. But if we're just kind of just touching the things of God and we're, we're happy with just that, then we're not going to see the half of what God's called us to be. So let's tap into everything God's got for us. It's time to stand up and stand out. It's time to stand up and stand out. It's not that we're going to try to impress people. We don't ever try to impress people. You know, the Lord gave me a little tweet, a little proverb one time. He said, when you try to impress, you spiritually undress. So we're not out to try to impress people. We're just impressive. Because we're full of the Spirit, we're led by the Spirit of God. When you're led by Him, how many people know God's impressive? If we're led by Him, we will be impressive. And we won't have to try and impress anybody. Can you say amen? Verse 4, so the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But they could not, they could not find any charge or fault because... He was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. I mean, he was a man of incredible character, incredible integrity, that even though they spied on him, they went through his garbage pail, they tried to find some kind of fault in him, some kind of error, some kind of corruption, some kind of lie, somewhere where he deceived someone. He did something wrong, couldn't find a thing. Examined him with a fine-tooth comb, couldn't find a thing wrong with him. Praise God forever. That's the way to live life. How many people know the devil, you know, he'll search you out, and he'll try to expose things in your life that you haven't dealt with. He'll try to exploit those things and try to take you out. So you've got to understand, you've got an enemy that has searched you out. That's why it's important to repent of sin and get it washed in the blood of Jesus so that when the devil goes through the trash can, he can't find anything. Even the trash, trash can has been cleansed. Come on, somebody. I mean, just clean. The Lord just washes it clean, man. It's a clean slate. And that's why the Lord says, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Who can condemn? Who can condemn God's people? Nobody. 
when we're washed in the blood of Jesus, walking in the righteousness of God. But they, 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 they tried everything. They used the media, the FBI, the Department of Justice. I mean, they tried every kind of thing to try to overthrow him, get him out of that seat that he held, you know. Verse 5. Then these men said, We shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So they knew. He is a man of God. He is, he is into God. So that's, that's the place to look. And so they looked at him. In fact, one of the satraps looked at him and said, the dogma lives loudly in you. And that's very concerning. In other words, you're too holy. You're too Christian. You're too Christian. Can you be too Christian? That was weak. You can't be too Christian. Well, that's just fanatical. Well, that's what Christianity is. It's fanatical. It's being on fire for the living God. Being filled with the Holy Spirit. Come on, somebody. Everybody say, the dogma lives loudly in me. Amen. Verse 6. So these governors and satraps thronged before the king... And said to him, King Darius, live forever. All the governors of the kingdom, the administrators and satraps, the counselors and advisors have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. See, they know Daniel's behavior when it comes to prayer is predictable. And it's like, there's nothing that can stop him from praying. So that's how we'll get him. We'll establish a law that you can't pray. And he's going to break it. What a reputation. They know he's going to break the law to not pray. They're that convinced that he is going to pray. I mean, he's that committed, that dedicated. So that they all even know about it. Come on, somebody. We need to, we thank God for prayer closet, but we need, Christians need to come out of the closet. They need to make their faith known. They need to let the world know, not to impress, but just to let them know, this is who I am. I pray. I seek God. I worship God. And I'm not ashamed of whom I serve. That's how Daniel obviously was. And so, verse 10, now when Daniel knew that the writing, so the decree was written and it couldn't be reversed. It says in verse 10, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, so here's an executive order, it's been signed. And this mandate has been, has been placed upon the people. In his upper room, with his windows open towards Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day. And prayed and gave thanks before his God. And as was his custom since early days. Notice, he didn't follow the king's mandate. The governor's mandates. Right? That came before the king. He didn't, he didn't follow it. He just went home. Did what he always does. Didn't do it in secret. Wasn't secret about it. 
Now, you can just hear the other Jewish believers. You know, you can just hear, say, man, he's just being arrogant. He needs to cooperate. You know, you need to submit to authority. You need to obey the authorities of the land. And I'm just sure he got a lot of flack, even from some of those so-called believers in Babylon. So you can't go by what everybody else is saying. You got to learn to follow the Holy Spirit. Listen to the Holy Spirit to be able to judge things righteously. Don't judge things according to the flesh and don't dictate what everybody else should be doing and not doing. Daniel did the right thing. How many people believe that? He did the right thing. Well, he's going to get us all in trouble doing that. He's going to get the, he's going to get us all shut down for another 30 days. That's all he's going to do. Well, I mean, isn't it the same? You know, isn't it amazing how history just repeats itself over and over and over? It's, it's, it's the same old, same old, same old all throughout history. That's just, that's just how it is. So, so Daniel is taken, the Bible says in verse 11, that, 11, then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. And again, you know, why did these men do this? Why did they do this? Why did they come against Daniel's prayer life like that, his worship of God. Why did they do that? Well, in their minds, they thought that they were protecting themselves politically. He was making them look bad. And so we're going to lose our position in the government. If we continue to allow him to do what he's doing, he's going to get us all fired. We're all going to be voted out by the king. See? So they think it's a political thing. But we know it's a spiritual thing. And again, it's all about coming after your worship. How many times have we said that? Chapter after chapter, we're seeing it over and over and over. The devil wants your worship. And he inspires men to attack you to steal that worship from God. To keep you from worshiping God. He wants all worship to come to him. He wants you to fear him, bow down to him. He don't like it when you're bowing down to somebody else. So these men think they're just protecting themselves politically. But what has actually happened is the devil is irate that Daniel is so dedicated to praying and worshiping God. That he wants to take it from him. He wants to take it from him. That's what it's all about. That's the root of it. See, we got to remember, everything is spiritual. What's the root of the things that are taking place in your life? What is the devil really after? What is those tribulations that you're facing? What, what, what really is at the root of it? What's the devil really trying to get at? He's trying to get you to fear him, bow down to him, obey him, do what he wants you to do on Wednesday night and on Sunday morning and throughout the week when it comes to prayer. He wants you too busy for that. And he wants you out worrying about money and serving idols. That's what he's after. And so tribulation comes to put pressure on you. It comes for the word's sake. And you need to know that and stand up and say, I will not bend, I will not bow, I will not break, but I will stay faithful to the Lord my God. And I don't care if it results in poverty, which it won't, because my God's able to deliver me. I don't care what it looks like. Rejection of man, loss of a position, I trust God. I'm going to worship him. Can you say amen? Verse 
15, then these men approached the king and said to the king, king and so they began to tell him about Daniel, and he didn't, when he found out Daniel did that, and he was very sorry that he authorized this decree, and he didn't, he didn't want to see Daniel. He knew what they, that they plotted against him. He realized what he just, the trap he just fell into as the king, but he had to sign it. He had to, he had to seal Daniel's fate. And so they came, and they took Daniel, and they threw him into the den of lions, and the king was so stressed over it, he couldn't sleep all night. And he's standing there at the cave as they're lowering Daniel down into it. And he's telling him, your God, whom you trust, will deliver you. And so he's up, he's stressed all night, not eating, not drinking. And uh, in the morning he goes running, running to the den. And the Bible says in verse, we'll pick that up in verse 19. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke, saying to Daniel, you could tell he's not really expecting any good news here. Lamenting, lamenting. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? And Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Wow, what a sound that must have been, right? Can you imagine? You hear his voice? Everything's great, king? No problem. Glory to God. Man, fiery furnaces? Lion's dens. What a life. What a life. How many people want to live that kind of life? Well, now don't take, you know, don't, don't, don't forget about the great trials and, tra- and stress that came before the victories, before the miracles, before the signs and wonders. See, a lot of times people are caving and running from the trials and tests. They're caving, they're foaming, or they're running for they're trying to avoid the trials and tests. We need to just stand tall. Help us, Lord, to stand tall in the face of trials and tests, knowing that they are opportunities for great testimonies. Great tests produce great testimonies when faced in faith. So get excited. You got to, oh, I want to live that kind of life. Okay, they're going to throw you. Maybe they're going to come and mandate some things next week for you. Huh? I'd rather not. Okay. Thank God we got a miracle-working God that fights for us. Can you say amen? And what did Daniel do? What did he do in there? He just believed. That's all he did. He just believed his God. He just trusted in God. He was a man of integrity, man of character. So, he, you know, he had a good conscience. Faith. The Bible says by faith and a good conscience, we possess, we inherit the promises of God. Take possession of God's promises. Faith and a good conscience. Daniel had them both. He rested in his God. Praise God. Who knows? Maybe he just put his head down and made a pillow out of one of the lions. You know? Just sweet as could be. Just sweet. Just a sweet child story. You know? It's wonderful. Of course, the next part isn't a sweet child story. Verse 24. And the king gave the command and they brought those men who had accused Daniel and they cast them into the den of lions, them, their children, and their wives, 
And the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. Now, that is typically what would happen when somebody's thrown into a den of hungry lions. And you know they kept those lions nice and hungry. Right? And we see here, they were hungry. I mean, they, they saw those, that flesh, all those pieces of meat coming down in there, and they broke their bones before they ever hit the bottom. They were devoured before they even got to the bottom of the, of the cave. The lions were digging into them. Just remember this. Just because it went that way for them, that doesn't mean it has to go that way for you. Well, this is what happens. You fall into a den of angry lions. This is what's going to happen. Didn't happen to Daniel. See what happened to them. Didn't happen to him. So what you see happening on the news to some people don't mean it has to happen to you that way. Yeah, but it's happening to everybody. And now we're going to go through the same thing. Well, you go through the same thing. doesn't mean it's going to happen the same way. Come on. God's got our destiny. We got a different destiny than unbelievers. We got a different destiny than those than those who do not know God, who have no faith in God, we have a different destiny. We have a different outcome, even though we all might go through the same storms and same trials. We come out differently. We come out on top. I don't even know Daniel came out on top. All his enemies were gone. The Bible says, he who digs a pit, he himself will fall into it. We got folks today, you know, they've, dig, they've dug pits and they put lions in them and they're trying to set things up to try to mess up our nation, destroy the church, shut our voice down. But I got good news for you. I'm in faith concerning the Bible. That he who dug that pit, he himself is going to fall into it. I pity the fool that tries to set me up for destruction because that same destruction he or she will fall into. And there'll be no deliverance for them as there is for us. Can you say amen? Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. So in conclusion, verse 28. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. He what? He prospered. And that is God's will for you and I. What 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 he had for Daniel is what he has for you and I. All you gotta do is believe. Turn to somebody and say, only believe. Only believe. Chapter 7. In the the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head while on his bed. Then he wrote down the dream, telling the main facts. Daniel spoke, saying, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, The four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. The four winds of heaven. What does that mean? That means the wind was coming from the north. It was coming from the south. It was coming from the east. It was coming from the west. The wind was coming from every direction. Wind, typically, is uh, symbolic, is used symbolically of... Adversity. Adversity. But it's also used figuratively, figuratively of the Holy Spirit. How many people know Acts chapter 2? He came as a mighty rushing wind. 
on the day of Pentecost into that upper room where all the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit and tongues of fire, the glory of God, appeared upon each and every one of them. But he came in there like a mighty rushing wind. Great sound from heaven. So we see the winds of adversity, but also the winds of God's glory mixing here on the earth. And we know, when talking about the last days, Isaiah 60 tells us that deep darkness will cover the earth. That's talking about adversity. That's talking about tribulation. That's talking about trouble. Darkness. Deep darkness will cover the earth, but God's glory will be seen upon you. His glory will rise upon you. See? The Spirit of God, those tongues of fire, the wind of the Spirit will blow on your life. So we're going to have extreme hot and cold temperatures mixing in these last days. And the lukewarm is being spewed out. They call it being polarized. But all the lukewarm is being spewed out. And it's becoming very obvious who's on the Lord's side and who's not. All that religious stuff now. See, it's all coming to the surface. It's becoming very evident, very obvious to those who have ears to hear of eyes to see, who want to see, who want to know. So we've got this mixture creating a cyclone of events in the earth. When you've got hot and cold mixing like that, you've got tornadoes, you've got all kinds of things going on. Verse 3. And four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. Now, I'm going to give you, just like I've done with other interpretations of dreams, visions, I'm going to give you first a spiritual interpretation. And again, we're going to see Jesus. I said we're going to see Jesus in the interpretation. Because remember, Jesus, talking about the Old Testament, said these scriptures testify of him. They testify of him. So we always see Jesus in all these things. Now, of course, back then they couldn't have interpreted as Jesus because Jesus had not yet come. They did not know these things. But now looking back, there's things we could see and there's things we could know. So we'll look at the spiritual and then we'll look at the political interpretation. Verse 4. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. This one should be easy. I watched till its wings were plucked off And it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man. And a man's heart was given to it. Does does that register with anybody as meaning anything? That's why we're here tonight. A lion, have you know, Jesus is referred to as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Jesus is likened to a lion. And then eagle's wings. This lion had eagle wings, which represents a heavenly being. How many people know eagles are the king of the air? Lions are the king of the jungle. Eagles are the king of the air. So it represents a heavenly being. Of course, Jesus is a heavenly being, but he became a man. He became a man. And he stood on this earth. On his own two feet. And uh, what does it say here? It says he was lifted up. He says uh, uh, the wings were plucked off and was lifted up from the earth. 
and made to stand on two feet like a man. He became a man. Even though he was God, he became a man. And a man's heart was given to him. How many of you know the Bible says that Jesus is able to sympathize with you and I, having been tempted like a man? God can't be tempted, but when God became a man in the person of Jesus, he was tempted at all points, yet without sin. So he's able to, he's able to sympathize with us. He's able to relate to you and I. He was given a man's heart. He became 100% man. So we see that here. And here it says, he was lifted up from the earth. Have you remember Jesus' words? He said, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. Speaking of his crucifixion. Being lifted up from the earth is speaking of his crucifixion. He was separated from our heavenly father at that point. And so this lion is the God-man. Jesus, the God-man Jesus. Verse 5, and suddenly another beast, a second, like a bear. It was raised up on one side and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And they said thus to it, arise, devour much flesh. I'm going to give you another God that people go to. We go to the God, man, Jesus Christ. But here's another God, the ribs. When you think of a rib, what do you think of? A woman, right? A woman was made from the rib of a man. Three symbolizes the Godhead. The Godhead. The bear, over in the book of 2 Kings... We have a bear come out and maul these youth who are mocking the prophet Elisha. Remember, they were saying to the prophet Elijah, go up, you bald head, go up. So apparently he was bald. And they were mocking him, go up, you bald head. In other words, they were saying, go up like, you, like, like Elijah did. You know, they didn't obviously believe that Elijah went up. And, you know, they, they figured that was just a, a, a stupid story. And so they were mocking him. And so he pronounced a curse on them. And a bear came out and mauled these youth. Just killed them. And, uh, and then talking about a bear, David, he defeated the lion and the bear before defeating Goliath. So the bear represents youthful lusts. Youthful lusts. David, you could say, defeated the lion of pride and the bear of youthful lusts. So it's the god or goddess of rebellious youthful lusts. Who are you serving? The god of lust? Or the God, Lord Jesus. Going on here, verse 6. After this I looked and there was another like a leopard. Which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads. And dominion was given to it. It had authority. Well, a leper is in the same family as a lion. But it's spotted. It's spotted. Well, the Bible talks about Christians that are spots in our love feast. 
See, they seem to be from the same family, the family of God, but they're spotted. They're full of the world, full of the world. And so the Bible warns us about these false brethren, false brethren. So they have the authority of the name of Jesus. They cast out demons. They lay hands on the sick. See, authority is given to them. Authority in the name of Jesus. They're, they're, they seem to be a part of the, the family of the lion, the family of God. But Jesus said the day's coming where these folks will stand before him and they'll say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out devils in your name? Did we not use the authority that was in your name? To do all kinds of signs and wonders. And he'll say depart from me. I never knew you. You workers of lawlessness. He will cut them off. So this is the God. Of false religion. False religion. Verse 7. After this I saw in the night vision. And behold a fourth beast. Dreadful and terrible. Exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. And it was devouring, breaking in pieces and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it. And it had ten horns. Well, we've seen, we saw this guy in the book of Revelation. And this is the Antichrist. The Antichrist. Again, a man here on the earth who wants everyone to worship him. So this is... The false god known as the Antichrist with his kingdom of ten nations. So you got these four beasts who dominate men's lives. Spiritually. Four beasts that dominate men's lives. Jesus or religion, lust or the Antichrist. Now, there already is a spirit of Antichrist that people already have, they've succumbed to and are fully yielded to now. But then the Antichrist will come. And this is what men worship. Which one is the one you worship? Don't bow to the bear. Don't become a leopard. Don't become a spot in our love feast. You know, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. Let's make sure we finish this thing good, amen? Amen. Praise God forever, and of course, let's reject that antichrist spirit that is filling the earth very quickly uh, in, these, in the day and hour we're living in right now. All right, let's look at this from a political perspective. The lion, the bear, the leopard, and a terrible, dreadful beast with iron teeth. Well, if you remember going back to chapter 2 in Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar had that dream And we see there a similar progression of kingdoms. Because again, these beasts represent kingdoms. How do you know that? Well, we saw that in the book of Revelation. But then if you just go down to verse 17 here. Verse 17 in chapter 7. It says, those great beasts which are four are four kings which arise on the earth. Now, it's not actually talking about four Kings, but kingdoms, kingdoms. It can be translated either way. If you look at it, it's talking more about kingdoms than kings. So if you look at what we looked at already in the previous chapters of of, uh, Daniel's interpretations, 
the lion, we saw the lion already. And the lion represented Babylon. The bear represented Persia. The leopard represented Greece. And this terrible creature, like no other, represented Rome, the empire, Rome, the Roman Empire, the Holy Roman Empire. And, uh, and then, of course, again, the Nebuchadnezzar had, a, had another dream, and he had, there was the statue, the head of gold. Remember the head of gold? And then the chest of silver and bronze and the legs of iron, and then uh, the feet partially of iron, partially of clay. Remember that? Well, again, that was these kingdoms. Babylon, Persia, Greece, and the Roman Empire. So that's what they represent. We can see that now looking back through history very, very clearly. So, you know, the Bible says, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. So we see it three times. We see it in two dreams. Then we see it in Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar had two visions, two dreams. And now we see it with Daniel himself having this dream. So we see, again, these four kingdoms. Verse 8. I was considering the horns. Remember, there were ten horns. And there was another horn, a little one, coming up among them before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. And there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking pompous words. So again... This fourth beast is this fourth kingdom, which is Rome, the Roman Empire, right? So the ten horns are coming out of the Roman Empire, or these ten nations are coming out of the Roman Empire. Now, after the kingdom of Rome disintegrated, how people know it fell apart, barbarians came in there. And, uh, and it just fell quite easily because it had so deteriorated from the inside. It had become so corrupt from the inside out that it just, this powerful empire just deteriorated and fell. And uh, so when it disintegrated as a world power, its colonies became nations. England, Spain, France were former colonies of Rome and yet became, when it disintegrated, they became nations in their own right. And in fact, the three of them were actually referred to at one time as kingdoms. England, Spain, and France. Now let's look at verse 8. I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one, coming up among them, before whom three... Of the first first horns were plucked out by the roots. And there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking pompous words. Now, that word pompous in the original means great, huge, domineering. So we could say it boasted great things. This horn boasted great, awesome, big things. Now, since the horns 
are Roman colonies that survived after Rome's fall, what are the three that we see here plucked up to make room for a little horn? I believe it's England, Spain, and France. These colonies, again, became nations in their own right. And they began to establish other colonies. One of those in particular was the continent of North America. The land known today as the United States. The original colonists came from England, yet both France and Spain made territorial claims and sent colonists to the New World. They all claimed it as their land. They found it first. It was theirs. Remember, they were fussing over it. In the resulting wars, England, France, and Spain, three horns, were driven out to make room for a diverse nation, one that was not identified with a national heritage or culture, and took great exception not to be labeled as a monarchy and established itself as a constitutional republic. Where am I going? We're talking about the three that were removed to make room for the one. So, along with the other ten horns, the United States reigns as a little horn among the other ten. It reigns as little, little in the effect of its recent entrance into civilization. The others had been around for centuries and centuries and centuries. America hasn't been around nearly as long as these others. So it's been around for a little while. Little. Little horn, around for a, a little while. Yet, it is the apex, talking about America, an embodiment of man's progress and boasts great claims over disease, social engineering, scientific discovery, space exploration, wealth that the rest of the world marvels over. The world marvels over that little horn. I believe this little horn is the United States. In fact, I'm convinced of it. Because it goes well with where we see the United States in the book of Revelation. As you'll see here momentarily. America is the imagination and entertainment capital of the world. It has the eyes of man. For like the eyes of God, it attempts to see all, know all. So in summary, three plucked horns are Spain, France, and England. Former colonies of Rome, which became... First kingdoms, then nations of their own right. The United States, which was colonized by these kingdoms, plucked up their kingdoms through conquest and became a diverse kingdom, one that from its inception was ruled as a constitutional republic. All right? So now we jump in the book of Daniel to verse 9, and we jump from the creation, really, of America to the final judgment of mankind. It says in verse 9, I watched till thrones were put in place and the Ancient of Days was seated. Now, who do you suppose the Ancient of Days is? God. 
And we'll see that here in, in verse 13. We'll get greater clarity on that. But uh, So here, we're actually, what is this throne that we're talking about? I believe we're talking about here the great white throne judgment. It's being set up. Things are being put in place now for that great white throne judgment that we read about in the book of Revelation. His garments was white as snow. How many people want to get to know what your father looks like? His garments was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame. Its wheels, a burning fire. You know, again, fire can symbolize judgment. Judgment. And of course, once a king or God or the Lord takes his seat on his throne, he's not always on his throne, but when he takes his throne, it's usually to judge So, in other words, he is ready to judge. He is ready to judge the world. Verse 10, a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. Sound familiar? Yeah, Revelation chapter 20. That's what tells me, that's what, that's what lets me know this is the great white throne judgment. Because when he says the books were opened. Revelation chapter 20, verse 12 says, And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into what? The lake of fire. Now, it's interesting here. It talks about the lake of fire, but what did we just see in the book of Daniel? Issuing from the throne. A fiery stream or a fiery river, a river of fire flowing from his his throne. How many people know many lakes are formed by rivers? So before there's the lake of fire, there's this fiery stream, this fiery river that goes forth from the throne of God and creates this lake of fire. So perhaps the lake of fire has not been created yet. Perhaps the lake of fire will be created when once, the, once God is seated and the books are open and the fire of his judgment is going forth from his throne. And as it goes forth and each person is dealt with, each person makes up that flame. Each person makes them people, they're, 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 the dead are here being judged. They're coming up out of hell, man. They've already been on fire. I mean, they're making up, this, this stream could be a stream, this stream of fire could be a stream of people burning in the fires of hell, standing before now the throne of God. And that fire just goes out and forms a lake of fire, which they're all ultimately cast into. Isn't this terrible? This is really something that is real. It's amazing. And you and I, thanks be to God, are not going anywhere near it. 
Thank God he's redeemed our life. When he said he redeemed our life from destruction, he did it big time. We've been redeemed big time from destruction. All right, verse 11. I watched then because of the second, because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. Now notice this. We're going back to the horn. This horn's a big deal in these last days. And so he, 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 he says, I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain. That's the Antichrist. And its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. How many know there's the body of Christ and there's the body of the beast? The devil's got a body. Think about that. Just like you and I are members of the body of Christ, there are many members that make up the body of the beast. Satan, the Antichrist, the devil. So I watched, because of the Son of Papa's words, I watched till the beast was slain, its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. So again, I'm talking about the horn here. The horn has a big part to play in the judgment that comes upon the world. Verse 12. As for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. So in other words... Uh, the beasts were conquered, but the people were not immediately destroyed. They still lived for a time. Verse 13, I was watching in the night vision, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. So no, this is talking about uh, the Son of Man is talking about Jesus. So we know the Ancient of Days isn't Jesus. You know they look a lot alike. Right, because we saw Jesus in the book of Revelation with the white hair and the whole thing, uh, but like father, like son, you know, you know, he's a spitting image, spitting image of his father, right? But but you know, it's not really, it wasn't originally spitting image. See, Southern people messed that up. <laughs> originally, that was why he's the spirit and image of his father. He's the very spirit and image of his father. But then over time, you know, the southern people cho- chewing tobacco, you know, while he's just a spitting, spitting image. Not spirit and image, spitting image. Anyway, God bless you all. I'm glad to be here. I've come from the north country, but, but I'm all southern now. Well, kind of. And so, verse 14, then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, talking about Jesus, that all people's nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. All these kingdoms come and go, but the kingdom of God stands forever, and that's what we're a part of. That's what we're a part of. Thank you, Jesus. So, uh, again, this, this goes right along with what we saw over in Revelation chapter 5 when we did a study on the book of Revelation where Jesus comes to the throne of God, comes before the Ancient of Days, here he's referred to as. But remember, Jesus came before the Father and they were, they were, people were distressed because there was no one found worthy to open the seals, right? To open, to open the scroll and loosen the seven seals. Remember that? So they couldn't open it up, you know, and then Jesus comes in. That's what this is. He comes to the Ancient of Days. He's about to open things up. 
and release those judgments of God upon the earth. Verse 16, I came near to one of those who stood by and asked him the truth of all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. Those great beasts, which are four, are four kings which arise out of the earth. We already saw that. Verse 18, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. This gospel of the kingdom, Jesus said, shall be preached in all the world. And then the end will come. Praise God. It's going to be preached in all the world. And the saints of the Most High are going to take hold of it, possess the kingdom. Hallelujah. It's happening right now, and it's going to happen to even a greater degree in a little while. As we're going to see a tremendous move of God upon the earth to bring this to pass. Verse 19. Then I wished to know the truth about the fourth beast. You know, he's just as human as you and I, you know. He's looking at this. He wants, he wants to know about the most terrible one which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful with its teeth of iron, its nails of bronze, which devoured broken pieces and trampled the residue with its feet and the ten horns that were on its head and the other horn. What about that other horn? Which came up before which three fell, namely that horn which had eyes and a mouth which spoke pompous words, great words, whose appearance was greater than his fellows. Man, that, that little horn that came up was greater than all his fellows, than every other nation. How many people know America is an exceptional nation? There's been no nation like it under heaven. There's been no nation like America. It's exceptional. In fact, I went and looked at Wikipedia. And I looked up American exceptionalism. And I think it's fitting. It just, it just goes right here because it says, was greater than his fellows. This one horn was greater than, than all the others. It was exceptional, we could say. American exceptionalism is a European-born critique of the United States of America. Did you get that? I found that interesting. A European-born critique of the United States of America, that the country sees its history as inherently different from that of other nations, stemming from its emergence from the American Revolution and developing a uniquely American ideology, Americanism, based on liberty, equality before the law, individual responsibility, and representative democracy. This ideology itself is often referred to as American exceptionalism. Second is the idea that America has a unique mission to transform the world. Third is the sense that America's history and its mission give it a superiority over other nations. American exceptionalism was originally coined by the Soviet leader Joseph Stalin in 1929 as a critique of American communists 
that argued that the American, get this, that the American political climate was unique and made it an exception to certain elements of Marxist theory. So communists have had a hard time trying to convert this government in America to a communist government. Friend, I got news for you. They're pounding hard on the doors of the White House, on Washington. And they want, communism wants to take over this nation. But it's been tough because we've been so unique, so uniquely different from other nations. American exceptionalism in the 21st century has come under attack from the postmodern left as a reactionary myth. That's how they feel about America. It's not an exceptional country. That's just a big myth. And so that's why they want to tear down our history. They want to remove all the statues. They want to burn things, destroy things. They want to change our history because they have a Marxist agenda. And people shouldn't be so easily fooled. Can you say amen? But when the Bible's not your book, but Hollywood is, you're going to be fooled. Verse 21. I was watching, and the same horn was making... Now, this is what you got to get here. The same horn, the United States, was making war against the saints and prevailing against them until the Ancient of Days came and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High, and the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. See, now we talked about this. We talked about in the book of Revelation that America is there symbolized as Mystery Babylon, the harlot. Remember? There, America is referred to as a harlot, and she rides on the beast. Can we just go there real quickly? Revelation 17, verse 6. I saw the woman... Drunk with the blood of the saints. I notice that. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. What did we just read in Daniel? I was watching the same horn and that was making war against the saints and prevailing against them. So again, the horn is the United States. The harlot is the United States in the future. It's not, we're not there yet. But I I tell you what, it can happen real quickly. Things can change very quickly. And it's it's trying to change. It's trying trying to turn this nation into an unclean, perverse nation that's anti Christ, anti God. Anti God. And so here, she's the harlot, drunk with the blood of the saints, with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. Everybody marvels at this woman. Or at this horn, at this country. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. Remember? The woman is connected to the beast. She's riding the beast that has the ten horns. Here we see the beast with the ten horns, and then three horns are removed to make room for the one horn. And again, it's America, connected to the beast in the last days. 
Verse 16. And the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman whom you saw is the great city which reigns over the king's of the earth is superior to all the other kingdoms or nations of the earth. Verse 23 of Daniel, wrapping it up here. Daniel chapter 7 verse 23. And he said, the fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth. This is an angel giving the interpretation of the dream to Daniel. It shall be a fourth kingdom on earth which shall be different from all other kingdoms and shall devour the whole earth, trample it and break it in pieces. The ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from the kingdom. Or again, nations that arise from this kingdom. And another shall rise after them. He shall be different from the first ones and shall subdue these three kings. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High. And shall persecute the saints. Again, Revelation, be drunk with the blood of the saints. And of the Most High. And shall intend to change times and law. That's something we get into. We just don't have time for right now. And people know the Antichrist is called the lawless one. There's a lot of things going on in our country to change times and law. Trying to change our constitution. Try to trample on our constitution. Change things. The, the, then the saints shall be given into his hand. Once that happens. The saints will be given into his hand for a time. And times and a half a time. But the court shall be seated. And they shall take away his dominion to consume and destroy Forever. Revelations chapter 18, verse 5, it says, For her sins, talking about the harlot, talking about America in the future. Her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities, rendered to her just as she rendered to you, and repay her double according to her works, so forth and so on. Verse 8, it says, Therefore her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire. We talked about nuclear devastation. They just wipe out this incredible superpower in just, in just an hour. Everything could be completely wiped out in a day. Verse 27 of Daniel 7. Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey him. What's the bottom line he's saying here? He's saying after all this stuff, the bottom line, the end result is we get the kingdom, we live forever, and we have dominion. Praise God. In other words, we live happily ever after. And so that message is trying to get over to Daniel. In verse 28 it says, this is the end of the account. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly troubled me and my countenance changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. He was troubled. He was distressed over all of it. Uh, But Daniel, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. We don't have to get distressed. All these kingdoms that come and all these kingdoms that go, we know. That we're a part of a kingdom that stands forever. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Praise God. Let's stand on our feet. Let's thank the Lord tonight. That concludes this message. For more information about Life of Faith Bible Church or Stephen Fraser Ministries, go to our website at lofbc.org. While you're there, be sure to check out the many other teaching series and books by Stephen Fraser. 
That website again is lofbc.org. And you can always call 888-542-2555. We trust today's message has encouraged your faith and strengthened your spirit to live the victorious life. And until next time, remember, we always triumph and we always win.